The podcast for the inquisitive diver. Uh, okay, first of all, nice. Uh, welcome to the show, buddy. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. I'm good. How are you? Oh, not too shabby. A bit bloody cold, but uh, I'm sure this coffee will warm me up nicely. Well, it's the way it is in Australia. You just got to suck up the cold. Oh, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Apparently, we're going to have um, a load of flooding, a load of rains come in, and uh, you know what that means to our diving. Not again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Been there, done that. Yeah, yeah, too many times. But it is where it is. Hey. Um, hey, um, Nace. Why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Like sure that. thing. So my name is Nace. I'm an independent filmmaker and an underwater cameraman. I live in Sydney and I specialize in all sorts of things from, you know, long form documentaries about divers to short form underwater content, as well as also photography. And I feel really lucky to, you know, kind of have like that perfect yin and yang balance for all those things, whether it's diving and film or free diving and rebreathers, just it's very um, humbling to wake up every day and realize that you get to do what you love and, you know, reach for the stars, I suppose. Um, where, did, where did it all start? Because, I mean, you seem you, – you're quite young, aren't you? How old are you? Um, uh, it's, it's like I'm getting a flashback. I had, I had uh, Stephen Fordyce on the show last week, and oh, he, he's got baby face. <laughs> and then here are you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I like to joke that I'm a, a 45-year-old in the body of a 25-year-old. Okay. Um, so it really all began about nearly 20 years ago where um, I – in the school that I went to, they had this um, library where we would just go bananas with everything that we read. And I remember coming home from school one day that had um, – with about a dozen books on sharks and whales. And my parents immediately took note of that. And I was also really interested in Star Wars at the time, like every boy that ages. And there were these two swirling passions of, you know – marine biology in one corner and then movies and magic on the other one. Hmm. So my next birthday, my grandmother gave me um, the four-disc special edition copy of The Blue Planet, the David Attenborough series, which we all know and love. Hmm. And I will never forget the day where I sat through all the episodes as well as the making of. Now, the thing that appealed to me was not just like the, you know, exquisite imagery, storytelling, music and all this stuff. But what really um, captivated me was the um, making the making of documentary where they would show all the cameramen who were, I'll never forget, they were wearing rebreathers, they were using really fancy cameras. And there was one scene in Cocos and Galapagos where they were just surrounded by a colossal school of about 200 plus hammerhead sharks i think mm. and then about a thousand silky sharks and i remember putting my hand up saying i want to do that when i'm older but i was about seven years old at the time so too young to do an open water so i had to wait a little bit to before i could really get into it so i eventually did get to do my open water actually here in sydney where the water's um it was quite murky, cold, and dark at the time because I did my course in the middle of winter. So um, it was a little 
different to what I expected, obviously having seen those, you know, tropical environments, but I didn't really get back into it um, until after I left school, which is when um, a classmate of mine needed someone to shoot the underwater scenes for her film. Mm. And given that I had already spent a lot of years in high school, just like getting the hang of filmmaking and realizing that's what I wanted to do. And this was kind of like, there was almost like this voice in my head saying, this is a chance to make these two passions like come together. So I put my hand up and I said, let's do it. And we show up at Avalon Beach in the middle of the winter with really violent swells, but the water is crystal clear. And the moment my finger hit the shutter of the GoPro as we were filming this scene, I could feel a much bigger click reverberate um, inside me. And it was kind of like that realization of, oh my goodness, this is what I've been looking for all this time. And um, I haven't, I've been addicted to shooting underwater ever since. Mm-hmm. So when when was that? That gig was um, 2016, May, it's June 1st, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you're still um, on the early path of your career in filmmaking and underwater filmmaking, et cetera, aren't you? Yes. However, um, done rather well with Descent. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's very clearly well done because you've, you've got several awards for it now, eh? Yes, thank um, it. It's kind of surprised me how um, it um, it did better than I thought it would be because it was my first ever feature film and I was just happy with um, – like the first um, festival was the Sydney Film Festival, which we later won, but I was just happy to, you know, even be selected for that in the first place. And then when it went on to, you know, several European and Asian festivals, that was – it was – I was really chuffed to see it um, kind of have a life outside of outside of Australia. Yeah, yeah. What was the What was the push? Was uh, mum and dad giving you a push? Go on, you can do it. What do you Get mean it done, by son. that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, because um, to to start filming and then trying to get it onto the big stage, and you know, I, again, I say that you're uh, a young lad. It's very impressive to get it get it on so there must have been some kind of support in the background there to give you the bumps when you started to feel um any kind of brick walls or hazards that come along the way well um the the thing is is that i don't come from a family of either filmmakers or divers at all in fact i'm pretty much the only person in the entire family who will swim in anything more than a meter deep. Um, But essentially, because I had been, you know, I had returned to diving a few years before I made that film, and I had gotten used to a lot of challenging conditions, that kind of installed um, a lot of resilience. And like, it, because when you're in the ocean, as and you probably have experienced this too, is you really learn how to be self-sufficient when you're at the mercy of such a volatile environment that can be gorgeous and enthralling one minute and then, you know, testing and challenging the next. And I was telling a friend this the other day, you can't um, complain to the manager and demand a refund. You just have to deal with what you're given that day and just get tougher and 
each dive by dive. And that kind of really crossed over well into the long, lonely hours that go into, you know, writing, organizing, and especially editing such a large project like that. Because it's not like a TikTok video where you just, you know, do it in a few hours mm. and then that's it. This is something that took about about 17 months of my life and a lot of sacrifice of that to add to that. But in the end, I don't really um, regret it because a lot of my, the people who I admire in this world are the ones who um, kind of gave the middle finger to playing it conservative and, like, you know, doing what had already been done before. And I just knew that if I didn't challenge myself, then I would regret it for years to come. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you've got to give it a go. Mm-hmm. You know, you, it's only by giving it a go, you know whether it's going to be a good one or a bad one. Yeah. You know, the situation, I mean. And uh, if it's a bad one, then you just move it alongside and, and jog on to the next one, don't you? Exactly. Just like a dive. <laughs> so um, have, you, have you been diving lately? or are you... um, I did dive um, a couple of weeks ago. I was very... I had I was in the Mornington Peninsula doing a bit of rebreather training and I had a really pleasant experience diving with um some friends both in the piers as well as the <clears throat> excuse me the wrecks that are down there and um but I had to take a a few weeks off to um start working on the next feature film but I'll be diving this weekend with Ryan so that's yeah. I'm looking forward to that Dr. Douche <laughs> Anything but a douche. <laughs> <laughs> Got to give him a shout out. Any shout out to Ryan Dushadel. Yeah, yeah, good man. Um, yeah, so what's that? Uh, what is it you got coming up? What training is it? Um, so I, my next um, feature film is a little similar, but it's also in many ways different. It's um, a documentary about um, award-winning cave diver Jill Hyneth. Now, for those of you who don't know who Jill Hyneth is, she's pretty much – um been a real trailblazer in the cave diving world and um it's some of the stories that she I've, we've already filmed like a a small portion of it on camera so far but some of the stories that she um told were absolutely mind-boggling and the thing that i find most fascinating about her story is that usually like when you ask a diver why do you do it they'll usually give you like one, you know, one kind of response, which in some ways was what happened with Descent, is that it was a very simple, clear reason why Kiki does what she, did what she did. Mm. But with Jill, the reasons for being a cave diver are a lot more complex and, pardon the pun, deeper than most are. And I just found that, you know, character development that goes through her story to be really fascinating for me as a storyteller and um without saying too much about what we we're up to i can easily say that this is the most fun that i've ever had on a project not just in the diving world but also um in my film career so far yeah yeah and have you started filming already or is it still in the planning phases? So we um we already shot I this is um and to anyone who's curious about how the documentary process works, what I usually do is I interview the subject first so that I can get the story down pat, which we've already done so far. And then we return um to film all the um 
observational footage or in this case dive sequences and that's usually a lot harder because of how logistically complex it is and some of the um cave dives that we're doing this has been a really fun challenge because free diving is a very simple thing to all but when you're dealing with you know rebreathers overhead environments large shot lists and um you know taking safety more in- into account in that regard it's it's a fun game of chess to just like move all those pieces and figure out how you can get what you want while also being safe mm-hmm. mm. <clears throat> excuse me bless you i think you're probably in good hands with jill anyway isn't it? yeah jill um well the thing that um, I really admire about Jill is that she is really experienced on both sides of the camera. So that means that um, whenever I say I want X, Y, Z, she says, I know exactly what I need to do to get you what you want. And yeah. it's, um, I have nothing but positive things to say about her. Makes life a lot easier, right? I used to work with a, um, a videographer when I was teaching all the time. And, oh, yeah. Um, yeah controlling five six people at a time new, oh, yeah. newbies and uh, him trying to record it just having that experience behind and in front of the camera and just a, a little nod in either direction and knowing exactly what's going to happen next uh, yeah it works a treat well that's the thing with shooting underwater is that all the things that you know normal filmmakers take for granted you know like communication lighting props gravity and all that stuff all that goes away underwater so it's very much like um, it's the opposite of working with a blank canvas in the sense that you have to really adapt to whatever's going with you. But in many ways, I actually like that challenge of having to work with less. And I often find that the rewards are much more sweeter because of how, you know, you how you have to like work with those obstacles and really pull something out of it. Yeah, yeah, fair one. So, what's the um, what's the? Have you got a master plan for your diving, or is it going in a particular direction? Is there something that's? What do you mean by that? Well, are you are you, are you aiming to be? You know, because a lot of people that go on to um, tech diving and, and mm-hmm. CCRs, they have a fascination for either going deep or into caverns or into wreck exploration. Oh, I love this question. Mm. Um, you know, like um. For me, like, I um, realized that the, you know, diving industry wasn't necessarily, like, the right thing for me. I love the meditation um, side of diving and that aspect of mental health. But um, that being said, I also love the potential of exploring more and getting out of that comfort zone bit by bit. So now that I've um, crossed over into the rebreather world, obviously um, caves and wrecks are on my list. I'm not really interested in like the hardcore stuff where you're really squeezing through more than a kilometer inside the yeah, we, we'll leave that to Stephen for that. <laughs> yeah. And also, I'm an only child, and my parents have repeatedly told me, don't do anything really stupid. <laughs> Um, but the thing is, is that, um, the, what really appeals to me other than just, um, you know, shooting underwater, like there's a lot of, um, there's really just like a lot of places that I want to go to that I haven't been to and really just, um, you know, taking cameras down there and making something out of it. And I really, um, 
what I I can't remember um, when this really started, but I really love going to like the unknown, underrated destinations that not many tourists go to, and really just um, you know experiencing that silence and that unspoiled um, aspect of it. Like for instance, I recently went to a few parts in Tasmania earlier this year where it's um, as remote as it can get with dive support, and it was really interesting seeing something like an underwater environment in australia that few people talk about and just really getting a taste of you know turning around the corner and that's kind of what i really love doing is just like going into whether it's like literally with the dives or metaphorically with the stories just exploring new territory Mm -hmm. have you got um is is there any kind of Location. Well, just to finish that one off, I suppose mm-hmm. what you're saying there is that the the, uh, the rebreather side of things and the cavern ca- cave training, etc., cetera, yes. etc., cetera, is a it's a it's a tool that's going to be used for uh, your cinematography. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, the thing for me, this goes not just for dime, but like anything, film, music, um, editing, you name it. I really um, make a point of focusing on tools that are just versatile reliable all-rounders and for me the ever since getting into the rebreather i've really um appreciated how it can it is so applicable for many different scenarios like it goes well for rex k's but especially you know like big animals that are skittish as well as also if you're on a film shoot rather than having to change your tanks four times a day you can stay in there for like twice and like not even i've been on some shoots where i haven't even had to change my scrubber because it's so shallow and also um efficient to do but i would like to you know go deeper than the normal recreational limits and i'm working my way towards that but as you probably know that's something that um takes time and Mm. i it's an interesting thing like where do you draw the line and i think that there is no universal, um, you know, stopping point for everyone. Like everyone will say, okay, I'm happy with this at a different depth. For some people, it might be 200 meters or others, it might be 20 meters. But um, I haven't yet decided that part of um, how far I want to go. But what I do know is that as far as locations go, I'm definitely, um, I'm definitely hungry for more in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, and you'll find your own route and where you want to go and explore, uh, for sure. Um, but you hit on a key thing there, and that's um, experience. You know, take your time and but take baby steps. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you see quite a few people just jump in at the deep end literally oh, too yeah. quickly, and <laughs> yeah. just end up being on a, an audit sheet. Oh yeah, I um I remember like when I first got into not only scuba diving but also free diving. That was kind of like the generation where. Um, there was no like zero to hero dive master program. And especially in the freediving world, I remember a lot of athletes of that era who have actually become friends now. They made a point of, um, taking their time and really slowly progressing. And I actually got my freediving, um, instructor license, um, just in, like in the first year of, of COVID lockdowns, which was a really interesting experience. But, Free diving is like a really interesting, you know, counterpart to all those like like the normal scuba and rebreather stuff. But um for me like um 
free diving is, I think it was Kirk Krak who said that if scuba diving is like um, taking your car and driving through the forest um, with your music on, then free diving is like um, jogging through that forest with no music. And um, what do you, uh, what I, what at least I interpret that is, is, um, is that it really means that you're really um, looking within and just like um, being very introspective because when you're um, diving without a camera, but that's an important disclaimer when you're, either competition diving or recreational free diving without a camera, you are very much um, meditating and internalized with your mind where the outside world just disappears and you just need to focus with um, just um, not focus, but actually just control your thoughts and achieve that, that stillness. So as I understand it, you, you do the bits in the pool to get, um, what's it called apnea oh yeah dynap so uh, the way that free diving works is that there are really um six disciplines three in the pool three in in the ocean so the three ones in the pool just to start you off with that is um the first is called static apnea which is when you lie face down in the water and try to hold your breath as long as you can Mm -hmm. um the second one this the other two are called dynamic apnea with fins and dynamic apnea without fins and obviously dynamic with fins without fins is when you will swim as many laps underwater in the pool without it and Mm -hmm. with fins you can either use a monofin which are those fancy dolphin shaped tails that the competitor divers one or just some two by fins whether it's snorkeling or the carbon fins now depth is a different game because um you're not focusing on distance you're focusing on Depth. So, the f- all the three disciplines are constant weight, just meaning that whatever weight you will take with you down there, you have to bring back up. So, mm-hmm. um, the first is called constant weight, which um, is when you will dive with either fins or like a monofin or or bifins, similar to dynamic. Mm-hmm. The second is called constant weight, no fins, which is a modif- similar to dynamic, no fins, is a modified underwater breaststroke. And then the last one is called free immersion, which is when you're pulling up and down a rope to get down there. And a lot of divers will um, have particular preferences for which disciplines they like in the pool and in the death, but... The main thing is, is that that those disciplines are really, it's easy to look at that and just think, okay, that's all there is to it in freedom, like just competing to see who can go. But the truth is there is a, another side to it, like the more recreational um, meditative side, which is, I think, what draws even more people to to it than you know, seeing how far or how deep you can go. Mm, yeah. I mean, it's got to, there's got to be something about it. I mean, I've, I've never been and never will call myself a freediver, but clearly as a young kid, we didn't scuba dive. Um, so we used to duck dive, you know, whether it's 15, 20 minutes, 20 meters, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just so serene, you know, and I, I love diving for the fact of being underwater. But then you eliminate that that bubble noise and mm-hmm. that, 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 that scuba noise. And yeah, into the freediving world, other than not being able to breathe, obviously. Yeah. Well, I was. It's interesting that you mentioned that. Is that um, the 
that experience of like diving, duck diving in the pool that we have as kids, a lot of um, pretty much every free diver I've ever spoken to has cited that as like a formative childhood experience where mm. it just stuck in the back of their mind until they did it. But um, I don't know um, how, whether you um, shoot on, but I find that free diving is also a really effective tool for um, getting the shot because sometimes like rather than having to take equipment down and like um, be limited with bottom times in the case of free diving, depending on what you're doing, that is you can swim up and down um, hundreds of times a day to, to get it. And also mm. it just means that you have a much slimmer profile in, in the water, which yeah. for certain situations is really handy. Well, we did, um, we did an expedition out to South Africa oh, uh, yeah? back in 2018 to do the sardine run. And, um, you know, you got on the, on the, on the rub, uh, on the duck, whatever you want to call them, the Zodiac, mm-hmm. um, for about seven hours a day. And I would say of the entire week that we were there, we put the dive equipment on maybe three times. The rest of the time, it was literally get in the water and get there now. And all the actions are near the surface. Yeah. So when it came to actually using cameras and, and getting a, a sight on what we wanted to watch, it was, it was all duck diving. It mm-hmm. was all shallow, you know, maximum 10 meters, I reckon. Yeah. Um, so if you're into your big stuff, I would highly recommend going out there for four or five days and just trying to get the sardine run with all the, the sharks and the, especially when the whales come up as well. Oh, it's on, it's on my list. I'd love to go down there for sure. Yeah. Well, when you do, I've got a, a company out there. Um, uh, Rob and Debbie uh, of Offshore Africa out of Port St. John's. They are fantastic and their team is awesome. So a big shout out to those guys as well. But I'll give you the details. <laughs> oh, I'll put it on my phone as soon as we end. Mm. Oh, uh, well, um, I'll tell you what we haven't mentioned yet is the fact that you are you are speaking at Oztech. Yes, I am. Nervous? Um, yes and no. I mean, <laughs> Oztech is really um, – I liked – like I call like – Oztech was like another really formative experience for me because first of all, that's where – I met Jill, but it's also where I met a lot of other legends in in the world and just watching what they were, you know, doing and like understanding their motivations behind why they were doing what they were doing. Seeing all those um, legends at Aztec really um, catalyzed that idea within me of why do, like more so that question of why do um, people do what they do? And it really... Um, opened my eyes to how the th- thrill and adventure is obviously one appealing, but the human spirit and the, you know, character side of it is even more intriguing. And it's, I think it's what um, people who aren't in our, our diving world find the most interesting when they look at it from an outsider's perspective. And to be able to return five years later where it all began for me is 
something that I'm really privileged to be a part of, and I'm very excited to be going there. Mm. G'day listeners, Rod the producer here. Just wanted to take 30 seconds and highlight that Scuba Goat is working with Oztech, so you can purchase your tickets direct from the show notes. Matt's going to be at the show both days. Don't forget to drop by and say hi and see if he's carrying any free goodies. Finally, if you don't already, we'd appreciate a follow, like, or share via social media. Whether Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook as you go, you can search for Scuba Goat or click the links in the show notes. We'll see you there. Well, without giving too much away, I'm assuming that you're going to be talking about uh, video and, and camera work. You can say that. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't. <laughs> it's a secret. Hmm. Mm. No, I reckon it's going to be a really good weekend. Uh, yeah, did you did you see the the lineup that they just um, updated? It was I was just looking at it the other day, and I was like, oh my god, this is astonishing! Like, how lucky are we? Mm, yeah, I can't even. Do you know how many numbers there are now? Is it forty odd, forty, forty three, forty six? I lost count. <laughs> yeah, likewise, likewise. Let me see if I can have a quick look. You stay. You're obviously staying down there for the full weekend, eh? Well, I'm um, doing the cave course with Ryan a few days beforehand, and then, okay, this is this is how hectic that that period is. I'm driving down to Gambia to do the course, then driving from Gambia to Melbourne for Oztech, mm-hmm. then driving from Melbourne to Sydney, then hopping on a flight to Vancouver, literally hours later. Vancouver, because that's um, and then to Ottawa to begin filming again with Jill. Bloody hell! <laughs> Tell me, busy boy. Oh, and I have to lug around my JJ and my cameras with that the whole time. So, um, are you, you're not, are you taking them to Vancouver as well? Well, the thing is, is that we go to Mexico right after um Ottawa. So, mm. um, I I know that there are some guys that will ship their um units to certain locations they're doing i've had a lot of nightmares with shipping so i'm not taking that risk i'm yeah. taking it with me the whole time that's going to cost you a fortune yeah no thank you <laughs> <laughs> so you're heading to tulum yeah nice how long are you there for a whole month what yeah it's um that's i was you know how we were talking earlier about how hectic the cave diving shoots are uh, mm. well the thing is is that there are so many different setups, but they also take so long. And because it's my first time there, I need time to prepare and just get used to the area. And it um, it's easily like the most complex thing that I've ever had to organize and plan out as a, mm. a diving filmmaker. And you've got all your, your bods, you've got all your people for yeah. lighting, etc. Do you know where you're staying yet? Not yet, but I can tell you who we're um, diving with. Do you know the guys in Under the Jungle? Under the Jungle. Natalie Gibb I, and Vince um, over there. Yeah, I don't know them personally. I know the I know the name. They're um, sure. I've been working with them for a few months already in prep, and I similarly to Jill, like I've just had an absolute blast setting things up. Like they're it's very similar, professional, detail orientated. Um, um, I really, I really have a lot of respect for them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you'll enjoy it out there. Have you been before? Yeah, we did. Um, this is again just before. Um, no, it wasn't just before. 2018, 19, 2019. We did. Me and the missus, we did um, five weeks down 
uh, going from Galapagos up through Mexico into Cozumel. Oh, nice. I I haven't done Cozumel either, but I have done Galapagos. Which um, which liverboard did you go with for that one? Oh, we were on Galapagos Sky. Interesting. I haven't heard of those ones yet. That's beautiful. Yeah, really nice. Nice. And you? Master. Yeah, well, I'm on Master next year. I've got an expedition in July next year. Oh, no kidding. Who's, yeah. Are you the trip leader or someone else? Yeah, leader? it's it's my Fantastic. My boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd love to do a rebreather trip because um, I went there on, on scuba, obviously, but I've seen some footage of the rebreather expeditions that they run there where they're just so much closer to the, the hammerheads and all the other skittish animals. And I, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, it's just um, – it's something that appears in my nightly showreel of dreams very regularly. So – it's a it's a beautiful sight, yeah. and you, you you managed to see them, obviously. Yes. Yeah. I, oh, that's a fun story. I think you'll like. It was actually on the last day. We were in an area where you actually aren't supposed to see hammerheads. It's I think it's um, I think it was San Cristobal. But anyway, we were looking for eagle rays, and then I see this large black shadow um go over me, and I'm like, "What's this?" And it turns out it's a school of a hundred hammerheads just soaring over me. And um, I just remember holding the camera. Um, I know you're not supposed to hold your breath when you're scuba diving, <laughs> but I was just like, screw it. I'm I'm not letting this shot go to waste. So I just filmed them. And then 12 seconds later, I let out the bubbles. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. All of them just vanished within a second. Yeah. But that was a really special moment for me because it really felt like that um, – it was very similar to what I had seen on Blue Planet all those years ago, and it felt like um, everything came full circle at that moment for a brief window. Yeah. It's it's a very, very special place. I mean, obviously, it's a Galapagos, so it is special for you know, more reasons than just us looking at fish. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the missus, uh, my missus, she had her moment there, which was, you know, on the, drifting away from Darwin's Arch on the – strongest currents that she'd been in and uh, oh, sitting yeah. on a safety stop with dolphins over the top and hammerheads underneath and tears in her mask. No was, way. Yeah, she was so emotional. It was fantastic. Um, a beautiful place in the world. So we, I, I came back off that trip mm-hmm. and got in touch with Master Liverboard straight away and said, right, let's let's get a boat together. And then COVID kicked in. So this one's been waiting for over two years now. Wow. Um, but we've we've moved it to... July next year. There's a couple of spaces left if anybody wants to come. Um, but uh, we're hoping for it's it's kind of July is the crossover period. Oh yeah, for the mantas and whale sharks. So obviously we're going to get the hammerheads, but mm-hmm. um, hopefully we'll get some big bus size whale sharks as well. Oh yeah, I tee it off. I hear that the whole July to October season, and if anyone who's listening, please correct me. Um, Apparently, that's when all the pregnant females start coming, and it's rumored that that's where they they breed. But no one's seen it on on camera. So yeah, it's never been never been captured on camera. And even uh, like uh, Simon Pierce uh, from Ma- uh, Marine Megafauna Foundation, when we were talking about it, yeah, they have no clue where they give birth. Um, I can only assume that they go down real deep and in the in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I can't, I saw it's like, um, my, um, one of my friends posted this national geographic chart of where all the shark species live in the various, you know, 
depths where it's like Twilight Zone, Dark Zone, all that stuff. And mm. apparently the whale sharks love um, – they often will hang out like up to 1,600 meters um, deep. And I was just like, well, that's fascinating because I had always thought of these of, – of whale sharks as like kind of surface dwelling because of how mm. many pictures you see of them right there. So to see that they – will venture that deep was something that was like oh this is interesting yeah yeah well that kind of makes sense though because um they're they're pretty crappy on the eyesight aren't they um (laughs) i haven't (laughs) i've only seen um them once before in the middle of the night but i haven't seen them in in during the daytime yet okay yeah no they're um yeah i don't think um and again the guys out there can correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think i am um they've not got the greatest of eyesight no. So that that says to me that you know if if they're not dominant on the eyesight, then they tend to you know be a deep dweller. Speaking of which, you know what's one um, shark with bad eyesight that I really really would give anything to see? Go on. The Greenland shark. Oh yeah. Or, or the sleeper, like those two sharks from the Somniosis family is. Oh my god! And but I, I feel sorry for the Greenlands though because they lose their eyesight because of a freaking parasite. Yeah, those copepods <laughs> are just bastards, but. Um, they just, um, are the most, I just find like they're, there's just one of those sharks where it's different from like the other ones where sometimes their behavior is like a little more, but these ones are just so not only, not only are they so, un- but they just look so strange as if they're mm-hmm. something from a science fiction movie. And, um, I've, there's an episode from the BBC series shark where they filmed them you know, venturing like under the pack, I think it's the pack ice and um, the way that they're just juxtaposed against like that icy blue and you see this like giant six meter cigar shaped shark just yeah. come out. Oh my God. I would, if anyone's listening who runs Greenland shark diving, hit me up because I'll be <laughs> first in line. <laughs> yeah, fair one. It wasn't the one, it was one rocked up down in the Bahamas or something a few months ago. Really? Was it the Bahamas? It was somewhere off the coast of America. That's insane. Um, and it was very tropical. Um, but they thought it was a, a Greenland shark. But they're, um, I, I looked into those quite a bit because they don't mature f- for 150 years. No, I, I was talking to Chris Harvey Clark, who's one of the leading scientists on them. And he said that apparently they can live as long as 500 years. It's crazy, isn't it? So it's, it, it's amazing how it's, th- I think it's like something that happens a lot with um, deep sea. Like, I don't know what it is about deep sea gigantism and scientists. I want to hear more about this if you're listening, but apparently they um, live so much longer than their shallow water cousins, but also they grow a lot larger than, than them as well. But mm. I'd, to this day, like I, that's one concept that I'd love to learn more about. Yeah. Yeah, I just I just found it online there. It wasn't um, Bahamas; it was um, Belize. Oh, really? Yeah. So the report came in. Well, there's that August this year. There's that amazing blue hole over there that just looks like anything could be mm. down there. So who knows what else yeah. is lurking? Have you Have you been out there yet? No, I really want to yeah. go though. I would. <coughs> excuse me. I would I would suggest that the best bit of the of the Belizean blue hole is actually from the air, looking down at it. Really? Yeah. And then the the coral reefs surrounding it are okay. probably better than the hole itself. It's um, 
It's pretty dull on the inside. <laughs> I'll probably get shot for that, but uh, say la vie. <laughs> I'll trust the, well, we're, we're in a world where we can get shot for anything, so yeah. bring it. Yeah, yeah. No, I really enjoyed Belize. Um, we stayed there for, I think it was nine or ten days. Really? Nice. Yeah, yeah. And um, there was a great little team on um, San Pedro as well. Awesome. Um, good little diving outfit and some beautiful dives. Yeah. But then going further up, up to Cozumel. And I was surprised because, you know, I expected Cozumel to be kind of battered because it's a bit of a tourist hotspot. Yeah. Um, but there's some lovely drift dives and some nice soft corals and plenty of um, spacious swim-throughs as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, yeah, nice place. I'd certainly go back. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, well, I mean, you're going to be stuck in caves and caverns, aren't you, for a month? Um, well, it is, um, I, going back to like, um, that the interesting thing is that, you know, for me, like, I remember around the same time I watched Blue Planet, I also watched, um, Planet Earth, where I remember in the caves episode, they show these two divers venturing into the really deep cenotes that are blacked out and have halocines. And I remember, Mm seeing that as a kid thinking, oh my God, this is terrifying. Why would anyone do this? And then cut to 17, 18 years later, and here I am doing that very same thing. And I just think that, um, you know, the challenge of it and just like forcing yourself to, you know, overcome that initial apprehension and fear is just something that um, I think is like... um, it's not only fascinating, but I, the after effects of it, like the savoring that um, feeling of just conquering your inner fears is something um, I really like a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's, um, it's, it's one of those things that it's, I've said it before, it, it's for certain people, not for all people. Oh, yeah. And um, I mean, when we did Tulum, we just did it as, you know, fun divers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we did a couple of dives. Quite honestly, I, I think I would have been better off going deeper inside mm-hmm. to have a bit more exploration. Okay. However, because it was quite spacious, I, I found myself getting a, a little bit bored very quickly because yeah. I'm like you. I love having a camera in my hand and I need something to take a photo of, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, and on the flip side, the missus, a super comfortable diver. Um but after, I think, dive three or four, she was kind of, yeah, I've had enough of this. Interesting. You know? Yeah. Well, for me, like, sometimes the camera can be a bit of a nuisance, especially on the rebreather, because it's, um, so, as I was mentioning with, you know how you asked me about how, what's the mindset of freediving? Well, in, mm. when you're diving with a camera, not just freediving, but any kind of diving, it's the opposite. It's very much externalized where it's just like, okay, is a shot in frame? Is it in focus? Is the light right? Is the color right? Like you have all these um, problems that are just coming at you a million miles an hour. And sometimes like it can get so um, overstimulating and overwhelming just doing all that, that you just want to, you know, throw the camera away and just enjoy <laughs> it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. There is that. I did. I did find myself turning my light off because I, I was just following everyone. Uh, <laughs> tail, tail and Charlie, um, happy for them to be, you know, up with the the guide. Yeah. Um, and turning my light off and swimming and just following the lights. It was it was quite serene to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then as your eyes adjust, I started trying to look down on the floor to see if there's any uh, 
dropped items. <laughs> Any GoPros? <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So your um, your camera. Yeah. It's a pretty big unit, isn't it? Well, that was. It's. I'm glad you brought that up because I used to shoot a lot with um, red cameras, and the housings for those can get very chunky. And mm. but the other thing is, is that they, in addition to requiring a lot more attention to detail and alertness, they also um, can be very. Um, what's the word? capricious in the sense that sometimes they'll overheat sometimes the menu system will crap out on you sometimes um they just um i don't know what it is but for me like when i decided to go over into the rebreather world i realized that i needed something that was smaller and um obviously because you've already got 40 kilos of equipment on you already but Mm. the other thing is is that from a you know, safety point of view, I needed something that would not distract me and was easy to take in with me. And if I ever had to, you know, manage something, then it would be easy. And I really admire all the older pros who will take not just like, you know, Reds, but RLXs, like all the big fancy cinema cameras that cost as much as a car. Yeah. To be able to operate that is something that, um, that I I really respect in those guys. So what are you shooting on now then? My current camera is a Sony a7S III, although I'm really hoping that Sony releases a new camera that's somewhere um, similar to what what the cinema cameras are, but is smaller and more versatile. And it's, there are a few, um, it's not as, um, you have to kind of search harder to find like the, dream housing and the dream camera there are certain Mm. tools that will um and i think this goes back to what we were talking to earlier but if there is no like universal camera that is the best for like what is the best thing for me is probably the worst thing for you and vice versa yeah 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 i I find that as well because i've got a lot of friends that for you know they shoot with nikon or sony yeah i'm a canon guy okay um it's just it's what works for me. Yeah. And, and same for like Don Silcock, who comes on the show uh, every now and then when he's in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's off shooting crocodile, not shooting, but filming crocodiles, taking photographs of crocodiles at the moment. Um, but he's, he's a massive advocate for, for Nikon. Yeah. But I think it's that thing that you, you get used to a particular tool exactly. and it becomes second nature, doesn't it? Yeah. And I'm, I'm also a creature of habit as well. So, yeah. um, I again like I really admire um cameramen that can just pick up anything and just use it like they've been using it for 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. That is not me. <laughs> <laughs> I no. uh, I I recently moved on to this latest uh acquisition, what was it? Maybe August, September last year, and it's taken me a good four or five months just to mm-hmm. just to even though it's the same brand just to get used to the handling of this one. It's, yeah, but it's good fun. I like it. Yeah, I mean, it really just depends on also not just what you're shooting on, but what you're shooting on camera. Like there, are, I think um, the the thing for me is that I often venture into low light environments, like whether it's caves or night dives or even sometimes a low vis dive here in New South Wales. <laughs> We've but, got a few of those. Eh? Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's also just like. It really just like depends on what is on camera and, you know, 
it's I'm trying. To, this is something that I'm guilty of that I'm trying to get better at. Is that you can't really get too caught up in the tech. Like it's I try to focus more on like the the story of the image mm-hmm. that's being told rather than you know how fancy my rig is and like what I need to to get that. And I've yeah. I have a f- um a couple of friends um throughout Australia who have used point like simple point and shoot cameras and housings. The whole setup is barely a thousand dollars and some of the shots that they've gotten on that look like um, s- the things that you'd see in a like the best of the best National Geographic photo, like coffee table books. And yeah. it just shows you how it really isn't the till it's the artist behind it. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Sensei. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about Sensei because they, they've literally only just launched, hasn't it? Yeah, they just launched a, a few days ago. That was um something that only came in earlier this year where um through – some of the um, clients that I had been working with on dry land um, before, they knew that I was, um, you know, really into the underwater, and they recommended it to the guys at Sensei who had this idea to make an, a really extracurricular learning platform where you combine online courses with, you know, real in-person activities. And they said, would you be willing to, you know, point us in the right direction for you know diving like diving stuff and under and i said sure thing however i can help i'm in and um yeah i'm really interested to see where where they go with it i mean it's still early days and i've only i haven't had as large a role as some of the other team members but um i'm interested i'm i'm hopeful for where sensei will go in the future yeah yeah I had because you put me in touch with them and um, yeah, I had a good chat with uh, Sam on the phone about it. Uh-huh. And I, to be honest, I wasn't sure what kind of input I could give them mm-hmm. um, because it's um, effectively it's real world education yeah. that you can't receive through you know your standard education, high school, university, that kind of thing. Exactly. So cooking, diving, um, yoga, yoga, whatever, whatever it is. Um, and they're, they're building, like say, like a portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wasn't sure. So we kind of concluded, it was like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it for now. But I've had a think afterwards, you know, and um, there's a few ideas that I've got for them. So yeah. we'll have a little chat with them again at some point later in the week. Uh, but no, very best, very best of luck to them. Yeah. Well, if anyone's the the man to do it with, you know, how to do a podcast or anything that you're else that you're interested, in, then you're the man to do it. Oh, shucks. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, buddy. No worries. Yeah, mate. It's that time of day. What time is it again? Beer o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> um, folks, thanks very much for listening. Nays, thanks for being on the show, and um, very best of luck in Tulum. Thank you so much for having me, mate. (laughs) All the best for the future, and uh, I'll see you down at Oztech. See you there. Bye for now. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. This is Scuba Goat Under the Sea. The podcast for the inquisitive diver.